This podcast is brought to you by the Spare Time Legends Podcast Network. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Get Geeked. Brought to you by Geekfest and Sin City Comics. Hi, this is Dan Slott, writer from Amazing Spider-Man, and you're listening to the Get Geeked Podcast, the greatest podcast in the history of man! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of Get Geeked, your second favorite podcast in the world. My name is Matt Lees, I'm your host as always. There's no Shane Jordan this week, because Pretty Boy took him down to, the, to a local convention that shall remain nameless. And he's walking around with our street team, advertising the bigger, better con coming soon to South Wales, which is, of course, Geekfest, August 6th and 7th at the Newport Centre in Newport, South Wales. It's really the only con you need to attend this year, if you ask me. And uh, Get Geeked, as always, is brought to you by Geekfest, of course, and by Sin City Comics. Make sure you go there and get your standing orders sorted out, and he'll keep them all aside for you. You give him a wink and a squeeze, he might even give you a special deal on something or another. Now, this week's edition, I got to sit down with the one and only James Kahn, who is author, novelist, director, producer of Star Trek Voyager and Melrose Place, and you may know him for his novelizations of Return of the Jedi, The Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, of course, Poltergeist, and one of my favorites, The Goonies. So we had the chance to talk about the many adventures that uh, he's been on in his professional career and what led him to be able to write these novelizations and actually rub shoulders and work directly with some pretty famous people that you'll hear all about here on the episode. Uh, He has his own film coming out this year as well, currently in production, Wrong Side Bob. has an Indiegogo campaign that you need to check out uh, to support him for that and support indie film. This is a project he is writing and directing himself. And uh, it's something that we're all behind here at Get Geeked and at the Spare Time Legends Podcast Network. So without further ado, let me get out of your way and let you listen to my conversation with Mr. James Kahn. This is Get Geeked. Today, we've got a Geekfest OG. An original gangster, you could say, because he and his lovely wife Jill attended Geekfest 1 back in 2015. I was lucky enough, and so was my wife Rachel, to spend some time with them, have some conversations. We have a fascinating individual on the line today, and uh, who has written some incredible works that, even if you don't think you are, I think a lot of you are going to be very familiar with the things, with, with his projects and the things he's been involved in. Some great stories as well, so I'd like to welcome uh, my guest at this time, Mr. James Kahn. Thank you for taking time out of your beautiful California evening or afternoon to talk with us on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. As I said last year, it was um, it, it was really cool because you know, you, you know, you may want to stay as humble as possible, but you have been involved in some super cool projects, and you have had some incredible adventures related to those. Some of them you were kind enough to share with me. Um, so it just must be mind-boggling some days to, to sit down and think back to all the projects you've been involved in along the, along the line. 
it, it is kind of striking to me on uh, occasion. It's, it feels like, uh, you know, I just got airlifted into all these things that became huge hits later on, and I'm, I'm kind of amazed I was actually involved in some of them. Yeah, they're unbelievable. I mean, folks at home, I, I have a, a, a picture in my email that is mind-blowing, which is a map from one of the projects, the Goonies, and uh, hey, no big deal, signed by Spielberg, you know, what do you know? <laughs> no big deal there, you know. So that's obviously that's Goonies is, is out of the out of the cat out of the bag there. That's one of the projects. But I thought maybe it'd be cool if we start at the beginning because you you told me a, a really great story about how this all started, uh, which involved you in an in an OR in an emergency room. Is that right? Uh, in an ER. That's right. It's uh it's a kind of a, a long roundabout story. I like to say I I got into the movie business by going to medical school. Yeah. So, so I was. Uh, I'm a doctor, I'm an emergency room doctor, and I was working in, a, in an ER in Los Angeles one day, and we got a phone call from this woman I'd never heard of named Kathleen Kennedy, who asked me if anybody there could help her figure out how to resuscitate an alien. <laughs> so so uh, Kathleen came down to our emergency room with uh, Melissa Matheson, who was the screenwriter on E.T. Kathleen was producing it. And we did a little demo for, for them and how you might go about actually doing that, and they liked the demo. and. So they had uh, me and a, a number of other doctors and nurses uh, from our ER come down to the set of E.T. while it was filming. Right. And they, uh, they dressed us all up in hazmat suits and we pounded on E.T.'s chest and we shouted out all that ad-lib medical emergency dialogue that you hear in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that was my, my introduction to the movies. Which is unbelievable. Like you said, you're just at work one day, uh, and and the next thing you know, you're res- you're trying to resuscitate an alien on a movie set. It's just yeah. Unbelievable. And, and uh, the interesting thing about about Hollywood is it's a combination of that kind of luck, uh, and then you have to have the ability to to step in and take advantage of it. So, so while I was there, I of course uh, met and talked with Spielberg, who was a uh, really relaxed and very sweet guy mm. and i gave him a copy of of uh a, my science fiction book my first sci-fi book that i had recently published uh, with del rey called world enough in time mm. and asked if he'd uh he'd like to make a movie of it and and uh the next amazing coincidence was he actually had a copy of it on his uh, shelf by his bed it turned out right because uh, his agent had, had sent him a copy and suggested he read it so so he uh, he took a look at it and passed it on to Frank Marshall, who was uh, the other producer on E.T., and they liked it well enough that uh, they assigned me to do the novelization of Poltergeist, right. which was, at that point was in post-production. Right. So, you, I mean, that's... Firstly, as as uh, as myself, I grew up as a musician. You know, always always you know with that thing on the horizon that you know one day you'd bump into somebody. But it's so yeah. incredible that you did actually get to bump into Steven Spielberg, and you were uh, you know cool enough uh, to to be able to hand him your project and say basically, hey man, check out my book because I'd yeah. like to think I'd be brave enough to do that if I bumped into a musician or someone like that. But I'm I'm not convinced I would have the guts to go through with yeah, it. Yeah, I was I, I wasn't cool about it. I mean, maybe I was acting cool, but I. It took me uh, at least a day or two to work myself up to it. Right. But and, as long uh, as you looked cool at the time, obviously, he doesn't know exactly. inside you're, you're, you're full of butterflies exactly. and you're terrified. You know, I talked to friends and they all said, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen is he could say no. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the absolute worst case is he could say, oh, yeah, great. No, 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 thanks. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. But then leads to you writing, obviously, the novelization for Poltergeist. So when that right. happened- and that was uh, that was under the gun a little bit because, as I say, they were in post-production and and uh, a previous, uh, they had actually done a previous novelization, which they were not happy with, and 
And so they had to get a good one done within a month. So they said, if I could do it in a month, I could have the job. Wow. So I asked all my friends uh, in the ER to cover all my shifts. Right. And I just spent uh, the next month sitting in Spielberg's office writing it. From, yeah. Because you know, that's one of those things, isn't it? Even if you know you weren't convinced you could do it in a month, you just you say yes to the project yeah. and you figure out how to do it later. Exactly. Uh, absolutely. It's uh, certainly one of those. So now with that, did they do they give you just a copy of the film? Do you get the screenplay and you work from that? And, and that being said, how much freedom do you get to sort of play around within those characters and things like that? Yeah, it depends on who you're doing it for. But but Spielberg gave me as, as much freedom as I wanted. I got a copy of the script, which mm-hmm. had just been shot. Uh, and I got a lot of... Uh, production stills, you know, pictures of right. uh, the monster from beyond and pictures of the family. So I had some some physical characteristics to go on when I was describing these people and describing the things that they ran into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote uh, I wrote a first draft in about two weeks, actually, and and gave it to Frank, who, who read it and had a few really minor notes. Right. Uh, and I asked at that point in the in the second draft if I could go in and just expand it at will. And, and they liked my first draft so well enough, they said, you know, go for it, whatever you want. Right. So the second draft, I incorporated uh, um, a lot of research that I had done in ESP and medical school and, uh, and just other things that kind of crawled into my head and, and things I wanted to change a little bit from the script. Uh, right. Just as one minor example in the screenplay, uh, the, the the Freelings go to Tangina, the psychic, and ask her for help. Mm-hmm. Um, in my version of the novel, I reversed that and said that uh, the the psychic Tangina was actually drawn to their house uh, by by psychic things that were happening, and, mm. and she showed up at their door and asked if she could come in and and give them a hand and see what was going on. Yeah. So you know, changes like that. And you're, and I mean, it's, you know, again, it's, it's Spielberg, but he's giving you that freedom to say, yeah, run with it, do whatever you want. I mean, that must be as an artist, you know, must feel like really great validation. Uh, oh, it, was terrific. Right it was terrific. And in fact, in that particular instance, after the fact, uh, he said, you know, gee, wish he had, he had thought of that earlier. That's the kind of thing he would rather have done in the script. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's unbelievable as well. That must have been a great moment to think. That, that, yeah. was, that was great. Yeah. Call, was, call me next time, Steve. I, I I can help you out with these things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said that. I kept saying that. They never did, but right. They, they like my jobs and the novelizations so much that they just kept giving me those assignments. Absolutely. And I mean, what what came after the the Poltergeist one? Then what was the next one that you were on uh, to? Uh, the next one, I think, was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. Uh, and then I did Goonies. Right. Which as we talked about, was one of my uh, favorite books growing up. Obviously, I think I told you at the con that I had literally worn the covers out because I used to carry the book around folded up in my pocket because I was a huge, huge Goonies nerd and still yeah, still yeah. am, to be honest. Right. And then in the midst of all those, I, I got uh, Return of the Jedi. That was a right. nice assignment. Absolutely. Um, and that was that was a combination of, uh, of things. One was um, my editor-publisher uh, at Del Rey, was also uh, Lucas's editor publisher for his Star Wars books. Right. So so when he uh, asked for a recommendation from from her, that, and that was uh, Judy Lynn Del Rey, mm. who was uh, the wife actually of Lester Del Rey, a, a famous old fifties and sixties sci-fi novelist himself. Mm-hmm. Um, she recommended me because she liked my books so much, and. Uh, and then, of course, Spielberg recommended me because of the jobs I had done on his uh, his yeah. film. So I I got I got the job fairly quickly. Yeah. And then I did have to go up and interview with uh, 
with Lucas first, and that went well. Oh, did it? Is that a? Is that a, that the interview did go well, or was there a, a hint of a joke great. there? He was. He was, uh, he was also a very sweet guy, um, but but uh, felt a little overwhelmed by by the sort of behemoth that he had created for right. Star Wars. Right. Yeah. I asked him. Uh, you know, when, when all was said and done at the end of our talk, uh, you know, by the way, Mr. Lucas, uh, I've got this book here and I've got, <laughs> I showed him my first sci-fi novel, just like I'd showed to Steven world right. enough and time and said, it's, you know, it's the beginning of a trilogy. Is there any possibility you'd be interested in doing this as a film? And he said, uh, come with me. So I followed him into another room, which is a very large, about 20 by 20 foot room that had uh floor to ceiling bookcases on two walls and mm-hmm. and a couple desks that were piled high with with scripts and scripts piled 20 high on the floor everywhere it was like it reminded me of uh of the last moments in uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they go into this gigantic warehouse yes so it was like that only nothing but scripts and books and he said well that pile of scripts is from all my best friends in film school and that one over there is people I knew in high school. And this mm-hmm. one is my from my agent. And this one is uh, Marsh's friends. Uh, I've got to go through all these to see which ones I like. Why don't you put your book over on that pile there? <laughs> <laughs> so not much, not as not hopeful much, yes. in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Now, not to get too sidetracked on that, but obviously you are a fan as well. Um, Force Awakens. How did you, what did you think? How did you feel uh, watching that I, film? Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I yeah. was... Uh, you know the 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 prequels I, I felt were so disappointing for so many reasons. That, oh, exactly, yeah. Um, partly because they relied so heavily on CG, uh, they lost a human spontaneous kind of feel, and partly because they just lost all that childlike enthusiasm that the first yeah, three had. Exactly. And I thought that uh, you know J.J. Abrams uh, went back to the original vision so beautifully that it was just uh, it was a joy to watch yeah i was very nervous and worried going into it because of the prequel experience but it was just yeah. one of those things i just forgot about everything else there's a grin on my face when i first see the millennium falcon uh i thought it was exactly. unbelievable it was of great. course it was a huge shout in the audience when that showed up first absolutely and you know and there were some complaints about it that uh that the plot and the ending in particular was so similar to the both uh, A New Hope and The Return of the Jedi, but uh, with the destruction of the Death mm-hmm. Star. But my feeling was that was that was a very consciously done, and again, a nod to, to the fans, really, telling the fans, uh, you know what, we're going back to the whole original idea and the original vision, and, uh, and this is sort of uh, our wink at each other, uh, promising you that that's what I'm going to be doing for these three. Exactly. Yeah, and it was a, it was completely a, a completely different experience from those prequels. Yeah. That the less said about the better, I think. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awful. No, I just I wanted because obviously we chatted about Star Wars. I knew you'd be a fan. I was just curious to know your feelings on those. There. Um, yeah. When we talked about the novelizations you were writing, uh, you told me a very very cool story about writing the Goonies book, um, which involved being uh, somewhere on the set. If I can lead you into that uh, that story there. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure which of the many stories you're, you're talking about, but but uh, the Goonies. I actually, um, for my personal research before I started writing it, um, I read, I reread Huckleberry Finn and Treasure Island, mm-hmm. uh, which were two of my favorite books growing up, and they were they were both first person narratives as opposed to third person, which is the way most novels are written. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the, it, it made them to me more intimate and a, a feeling of uh, a closer connection to the narrator. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and I wanted to give that to uh, to Mikey Walsh, who was narrating the Goonies about his mm-hmm. his experience there. And in the few times in the Goonies when Mikey wasn't actually present, uh, I made it that these were stories that his friends who were going through them uh, told him after the fact. So mm-hmm. he included them in his narrative. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't, uh, I didn't, again, it was, uh, I got on board when they were just about done shooting. So I didn't get to see any of the actual filming mm-hmm. like with, uh, Poltergeist that gave me a lot of production stills. Uh, but, but the, uh, the pirate ship was still standing. Ah, uh, yes. Standing in about, uh, three feet of water on a soundstage, uh, on the Warner brothers set. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was built to seven eighths scale. I'm not sure why they made it to that rather than full scale, mm. um, except maybe to, to make the kids feel a little bigger when they were on the set. Yeah, but perhaps. it was. Uh, I got to walk through that, and that was a wonderful experience, and and evoked sort of again all my childhood feelings about Treasure Island, and mm-hmm. and uh, it was a terrific set because it it seems on camera anyway that that's a legit pirate ship that they built. It, Totally. It was absolutely replica model. It was really wonderful. Uh, you know, I always hear, I think on some of the, the DVDs or the Blu-rays, they tell the story of uh, Richard Donner kept the kids out of the set because he wanted their natural reaction when they first yeah. saw it. And then when exactly. they first saw it, they all said things like, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> and then they couldn't use the footage anyway because the kids were all so surprised. Right. Um, exactly. But just exactly. I, still to this day, I think uh, one of the you know greatest films ever made, just that adventure that every kid desperately wants to have when they're young you know everything you you want to find that treasure map you want to have a few buddies good enough friends that you trust to go on an adventure with i think we all long for that as kids so that's why exactly the goonies is such great escapism yeah totally and that's one of my uh my most treasured uh so to speak possessions now is that uh that goonie map map signed to me from steven uh, Mm -hmm. from the film which is yeah i mean it's just i think to the i think even now as a grown man, I still sometimes hope I may find a hidden treasure map someday, you know, because you'd have to follow it. You just never, you know, you wouldn't be able to ignore that and go back to your normal day. I'm totally waiting for that to happen for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if you find one and you need a team to put together, Rachel (laughs) and I can be there. You're uh, on the team. Absolutely. We'll go. I can, you know, I can give the speech like Mikey did. It's our time down here. You know, we're all ready for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your story reminds me. Uh, this is unrelated to anything I've done, but the story about the, not taking the kids to uh, to the set until the last moment. Right. Um, in the in the movie Alien, the first one, mm. uh, you know, there's this famous horrific moment where the the alien larva bursts out of. Uh, uh, I can't remember which actor it was. It might have been. Uh, I can't remember. No. Bursts out his belly right yes um, and everyone screams well that page was removed from all the actors scripts right. except for the one who it came out of so none of the actors knew what was going to happen mm. except on that page uh just all said something scary happens here so they were all completely freaked out when that thing burst out of his belly you should go back and rewatch that yeah. scene and watch uh the natural angela, reactions uh, angela cartwright's yeah. actual reaction she was just totally out of her mind yeah oh which as we all would be but i think it's great when they're able to get away with that and get a genuinely natural reaction you know it's like when even in a sitcom if if one of the cast members makes one of the other cast members laugh you can instantly tell when it's a natural real reaction and you see that five seconds where they they break character and giggle for a split second and it's always funny to me how easily you can tell when it all of a sudden just comes out of, you know, it goes into reality for that few seconds. Yeah, com- completely. Yeah. Although the, uh, the, uh, 
the sort of uh, opposite side of that is a, a funny story about the filming of Marathon Man. I don't know if you ever mm. saw that, but it was a, a 70s action thriller with Dustin Hoffman and Sir Laurence Olivier. Right. Um, and uh, uh, there, there was a, a famous funny conversation between them. He's a marathon runner, Dustin Hoffman is, mm-hmm. and he's famously of the method school of acting to really get inside your character mm-hmm. and, uh, and figure out where, how, it, how you really feel. And so in, in the scene where, where uh, he's supposed to have been uh, running long, long marathon distance to get away from the bad guys, um, he actually decided to go for a two-mile run just before the uh, scene was shot. Mm-hmm. Laurence Olivier, who had to be part of the scene, was very annoyed with how long he had to, to wait for, for Dustin to run that. And at the end of that, he said to Dustin Hoffman, why didn't you just act tired out <laughs> yeah absolutely <coughs> it's the uh the method actor isn't it that just stays yeah. in that role the, the um, method versus the classical absolutely i mean i think recently um will smith with regards to suicide squad said that he never met jared leto on the set he only ever met the joker because um, he just <laughs> uh-huh. stayed within that role completely yeah i've heard that exactly yeah um now are you into the superhero type movies and things like that do you guys go out and see batman superman when they come out and things like that uh, I am, but not completely. I love I love all the uh, the Batman reboot movies. I thought they were all terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen the the recent Batman v Superman though. Right, because it's 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 a very polarizing film. Is is what I found. Um, you know, it's one of those. I think people build up so much hope for them and everything that it just you know yeah, you yeah. almost can't win as the as the writers of those projects. You know, you exactly you have so much to live up to. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, this was an accidental segue, but I'll take it and run with it. Um, Writing something as important as that. I mean, you got to spend some time writing episodes of Star Trek as well. Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, I actually only wrote one one, freelance uh, of The the Next Generation. I was on... uh, Voyager for a year as a writer producer, so right. I wrote a bunch there. Right, so that must be a, a, an area where the the audience feel a sort of ownership or proprietorship over these these characters and their stories. Did you ever have experiences within that sort of thing, fanboys as you could call them? Yeah, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I, I love I've loved Star Trek since the beginning, but but I wouldn't call myself uh, uh, a dedicated fan in the sense that I knew every last detail about mm-hmm. that universe. And fans were always writing in to us after episodes saying, you know, how could you have the Klingon say that? Or that reference to to where the Vulcan is coming from completely contradicts this episode from Deep Space Nine where you said blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so um, we actually had one, one dedicated writer on our staff who was a, an absolute Trekkie, who knew every episode from every series. Mm-hmm. And and tried to keep us uh, on track with the ones we were writing, and tried to make sure that we weren't violating anything for many of the episodes right. ahead of time. Yeah, and do they have obviously for a thing like a Star Trek? Obviously, there's going to be showrunners, and do they keep the reins pretty tight within that their own universe? Do they have sort of arcs that they want you to sort of pick up on and follow, or do you have the freedom to just write an episode? Yeah, no, it, yeah there, there's very little freedom uh, mm. beyond what. You know, we, we in the room in the writers' room, which was led by the showrunner. Right. We would make we would make up uh, sort of six episode arcs that that would carry through through several episodes, um, but each episode was very very carefully plotted out uh, in the room under the under the guidance of the showrunner. Right. You know, each each writer 
and this is kind of true in any show, each writer would come in with a particular idea for a show they wanted to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, you know, it would then be modified a little bit, but then then we would get a, um, an idea of what that show was going to be about. Mm-hmm. And then the whole room would beat it out beat by beat. beat you know, it, yeah. it started here, we know where it was going to end, then we had an idea of of where some of the act breaks should end. Mm-hmm. We knew where each character had to go over the course of that. Then we would beat it out scene by scene. And then finally, when that beat sheet was completed in the room, the writer who was going to write it would go go back and type up uh, a beat sheet. It was called a beat sheet. Yeah. Of each scene by scene, uh, um, kind of a, you know, a short paragraph about what that scene was about and mm-hmm. what it, each character had to go through. And then, then we would all look at, at least the producers would look at that beat sheet and give the writer notes on that beat sheet, and then they would go off and write the actual script. Yeah. Now, is that hard as a as a writer to sort of share share the idea and to do it in in a room like that? Was that a tough experience as a as a creative person to share? Well, it was. It was. It was generally uh, a lot of fun. I mean, writing is often and usually hmm. such a solitary experience. You know, you come up with an idea, you work on it, you wrestle with it, you rewrite it, and you usually have very little feedback and. Uh, telling you, well, this is a, a bad direction to go, and this is, you know, follow this way instead, or giving you ideas about what you might do, and that's actually one of the great things about the writers' room and about the television writing experience mm. is you're sitting in a room of writers all day, and it's it's fun, it's funny, you throw things back and forth at each other, uh, you get ideas uh, for for your own script that you might never have had before, and you're right. able to incorporate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there are obviously moments when you have a really strong idea about what you want to do and and you know, end up not being able to do that because either the showrunner or the, the consensus is to go in a different direction. Yeah. But, you know, that's just one of the things you have to learn to go with when you're writing for TV. Yeah, especially when it's not, you know, your own project. It's it's an established universe that you're lucky enough to write within. Exactly, uh, exactly. And does that lead to you getting to spend any, much time on the set? Do you get to be part of the other side of the production there? Yeah, as a, as a producer, as yeah. a writer-producer, you get to go to the set as much as you want. And, and uh, um, you know, I was... Ended up being a, a supervising producer on on uh, on Voyager, which which gave mm-hmm. me uh, access to and participation in a lot of the aspects of production. I was involved in uh, in casting and in uh, the music spotting and in in talking to the directors to give the directors a direction of where to go. I was a co-executive producer on Melrose Place, which wasn't a sci-fi show, but I was uh, I was really much more intimately involved, even in all the aspects of right. production. That one. Well, I think some of those storylines could be classified as sci-fi, couldn't they? I saw some <laughs> crazy Melrose Place episodes, I'm, I, I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Uh, I seem to remember somebody always getting thrown in the pool. Was there a pool in the middle of the, the house? There was. There was an actual uh, practical active pool on set, and people did get thrown in it all the time. Yeah, I'm killing my <laughs> rep now, aren't I, in the podcast world by admitting how much I watched Melrose Place. Um, <laughs> so uh, as a producer on that show, obviously, well, that was something they, they did a reboot for, for very temporarily, didn't they? Did, they, did any, any contact with you during that reboot as a, obviously a producer of the original there? No, they they didn't. They wanted to keep it totally separate from the original, and then... As uh, episodes went on and they weren't doing very well critically, they brought a couple of the old actors on, mm-hmm. but that that didn't seem to help much. No, never, never went anywhere. No, never went anywhere. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, we've been talking, obviously, because you came uh, to Geeked Fest last year, which was our co- convention here in South Wales. Unfortunately, right, you won't be, yeah, obviously you won't be here this year, unfortunately, but there's there's a, a very, very cool reason for that, which we can go into in a moment there. Um, but you've done a, a few different cons, you know, I've seen pictures and things where, you know, you're at those different events, you get to bring your wife with you generally. So is that, that must be a really cool experience for the two of you to get to go and do that together. Uh, it, it's really fun, although, though, uh, um, often I go alone. She, they kind of overwhelm her. She came with me to Geek Fest, and that was great fun. Right. Uh, uh, in Newport last year, we had a, a ball doing that. Yeah. Um, but I went to uh, the the Houston uh, Space City Con. That was really fun. Yeah. Um, got to go to to. They let us tour NASA uh, on a VIP tour, so we got to see all kinds of things in NASA there. The most most people don't see. Yeah, that must that must have been very cool. I visited the NASA the the building in in Florida or near to Florida, obviously right. on a Disney World trip once, and it was just it was the scope yeah. of everything. I'm just caught there staring up, feeling like I'm two foot tall, looking at the size of these genuine spaceships and space shuttles. Yeah. Just yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Um. Incredible. So and now you must have uh you know been near and sitting around some uh, crazy guests uh, during your con time as well. Has there been a guest that you've gotten to bump into that you've thought? Oh, it's cool that I got to meet this or that person. Well, at the, I, I went back and uh, you know spent a little time with some of my Star Trek Voyager mm. buddies. Yeah, because uh, uh, it was also the uh, some anniversary for Star Trek was the fiftieth. I can't remember mm. last year. So I saw you know Bob Picardo and and uh, uh, I've had uh, uh, you know contacts with some of the actors. Um, mostly the writers, though. I, you know, at the uh, I was at Star Wars uh, Celebration in Anaheim um, mm-hmm. back last year and hung out with uh, Alan Dean Foster a little bit, who novelized uh, both uh, the New Hope uh, episode four, and he also novelized uh, this recent one, The Force Awakens. Right. Yeah, I mean, these conventions are such an unbelievable experience. I think the first one I ever went to was so surreal because everybody's just mingling and mixing with each other people get you know you get to see some unbelievable artwork and you get to listen to yeah, q and a's um, and there's just yeah. enough, you know do you get much time during those conventions to walk the floor and and look at stuff and if you do what's yeah. where does where no, do you go first yeah you know you, you have to you have to mind your booth for a while but uh you know then you take a break and you go off into exploring for an hour or so it's it's uh, yeah. it's Great fun. And is there something that catches your attention first? Like for me, I'm, I collect action figures uh, of any sort of, you know, very different ones. But is there, is it artwork for you? Is it, is it books? Is there something? Yeah, that you I love to? the artwork. I love posters, actually. Mm, posters. Now that you say action figures, it was funny. At the uh, Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, they had a, uh, a three-story tall Darth Vader made out entirely of Legos. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a definitely a huge man child, so I'm always surrounded by yeah. toys and all all that sort of stuff. Especially, and I, love, I, go. I, I lo- right. I love the cosplay too. I love seeing people dressed up like all these characters. Yeah, because obviously Geek Fest, we had a pretty big uh, cosplay event happening as well as the event. And I remember, uh, yeah. I believe we did go up at some point, didn't we? We went and checked it out because it was it was so many people in cosplay and such a welcoming great. atmosphere. It was unbelievable. Uh, and they will, they will be back this year for, for local folks that are going to attend. There will be a cosplay event uh, of some sort going on this year. I'm contractually not allowed to say much more than that. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners understand, you know. I uh, wouldn't want to end up uh, in any trouble over that. But there is there are announcements coming Uh Soon and sooner than sooner than later. Anyway, good, good. Um, now obviously we said it's, there's a fairly cool reason that you know you're, you're unable to attend this year, and that's because uh, I believe another dream of yours is coming true, and uh, you're about to write and direct your own movie. 
yeah, I'm finally, after all these years of, of writing and producing other people's stuff, I finally decided, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to make my own, my own piece. So I wrote, I wrote a screenplay, a feature screenplay called Wrong Side Bob. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's based on a CD that I released of Americana Music a few years ago called Man Walks Into a Bar. Mm -hmm. And that was a concept album in which every track on the CD was about one of the people in this bar on a given night. Right. And how all their stories sort of cross and intermingle and, and finally come together at the mm -hmm. end. So people have been urging me since I uh, put that out that I should make, uh, you know, do either a, a stage musical or a movie out of it. So I decided to do a movie. So I wrote the script, um, and I've been, uh, you know, slowly putting it together to uh, to make my own movie. Hopefully, shooting in the fall. Yeah, uh, I've been raising money uh, gradually. I've got a a wonderful director of. Uh, photography signed on i have two uh two actors uh, committed to doing it the the lead role wrong side bob is being played by an actor named ronnie cox right he's uh, a, a long time supporting actor uh he actually got his start in the movie deliverance uh, playing the guitar uh, to the dueling banjo sequence and he was one of the characters who went on this fateful rafting trip right but since then he's played he often plays the bad guy the sort of bureaucratic bad guy he was yeah. the the, I think the corrupt uh, DA or uh, or corporate head in RoboCop. He was the Beverly Hills chief of police in Beverly Hills Cop. He played that kind of role a lot. Right. He's one of those guys that I think we've all seen in tons of stuff. Exactly. And, you know, for, for Star Trek fans, he was uh, uh, in the two-part episode about Captain Jellico. He was the sort of... Uh, tight martinet captain who takes over uh the enterprise for two episodes yeah yeah and it's i think he's an actor that almost sort of transforms between roles because you can almost not even notice that he was the same actor in these two projects that you've enjoyed and then when you go exactly. back and revisit it you realize that's the same guy who played this right, other right, character. Right. There, yeah. and, you don't you don't know his name but when you see him you go oh i know that guy yeah exactly we we're, we're terrible for imdb on the on the mobile on the phones when we're watching things because it'll bother us too much if we don't take <laughs> that second to go freeze guy in the back what do we know him from let's figure this part out because otherwise i'll spend right. the whole episode going mental rolodex is he this guy is he that character is he that character right, right, um, but right. no it sounds like it'll be um so obviously every aspect of this film is is in your hands you know you have to find all the team and everything you are yeah, funding yeah. on indiegogo yeah is that right yeah exactly we got the first funding on indiegogo and that was enough seed money to uh, uh to put together an investment package and to to uh you know pay for some of the location fees and mm -hmm. get some consulting and do a do a little video trailer so we've been using that and and now we're trying to get the bulk of the money over the course of the spring and the summer yeah, and I mean that trailer is visible on on the Facebook page. I've seen you tweet it on Twitter as well, and probably on YouTube. But wrong side, Bob. Uh, a Google search is the best way, isn't it, to see everything you want to uh, see about it? What can you tell us about it? I mean, we don't want to do any spoilers, as people say. But what can you tell us about the film itself? Yeah, well, the sort of tagline is a uh, a drifter with amnesia, struggling to remember his past, runs into this old guy at the bar who's desperate to forget his past. And uh, no, nothing will ever be the same. The two of them sort of help each other through this uh, journey of, 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 you know, who were you and who are you? And uh, they're helped along the way with a, a handful of quirky bar characters. And there's a small crime plot and, uh, and a, a surprising but inevitable ending. Excellent. So it's, kind of, uh, you know, low budget but sweet, funny, funny dramedy, comedy and drama. 
Absolutely. It sounds, I mean, it, go ahead. And there's a lot of my music in it as well. A lot of the music from my CD is in it, um, either as background score or sometimes people will will sing some of the songs in the context of this being a, you know, a bar with a bar band. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I can't wait to, uh, to, be able, to be able to see it. I know I've noticed that uh, you are doing some cool sort of giveaways and things for funding as well. Is that still ongoing? I saw That's still ongoing. Anybody and- wants to, to help me through it, uh, just go to Indiegogo and, uh, and uh, you know, search for Wrong Side Bob on Indiegogo. And- yeah. You can see all all the things it's about and where to donate a little money to help me out. Absolutely, and there's exclusives involved. I've seen some, as I said, some film reels. Uh, some, some yeah, and I'm giving things. away some giving away some great perks on Indiegogo, by the way, including you know things not just related to Wrong Side Bob, but but uh, stills and uh, and transparencies from Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. from the Goonies. Uh, props and things like that. So giving away some good stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, it's something that uh, the online universe is, it's great that that it allows this sort of thing to happen now. Cause you know, years ago that wouldn't have been possible. You know, you would have had to literally be knocking on doors asking, would you like exactly. to fund my movie? Would you like to fund my movie? Uh, <laughs> but now that anyone, you know, musicians or, or actors, directors, writers, they can use this project. And if enough people yeah, yeah. on the internet think it's cool. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because I think people have a lot of dis- well, not a lot of people, but people shopping online and things. I think they have disposable income, and a few bucks can make all the difference to an indie project. And I think they're more ab- than happy to throw it that way as well. It absolutely can, yeah. And and you know the the way filmmaking has gone the, with digital filmmaking, it has really democratized the process so much in terms of who can do it and how much it costs mm-hmm. that uh, it's, it's made it possible for people like me to actually make a real feature film. Yeah. Or, or you know, or something like myself, I'm able to host and run my own podcast uh, for, for a very small monthly fee to a website. I mean, it's like having my own radio show, but I never would have been to do that, you know, years and years ago, that wouldn't have been possible unless I wanted to be on pirate radio, which was exactly. a dream to be honest. I would have loved to have had a secret <laughs> FM transmitter under, under my bed and do pirate radio late at night. That was uh, that would have been unbelievable. Which watches led me into radio right. as, a, as an attempted career. Um, yeah. Until I realized you had to be very scripted and you couldn't actually be yourself and have fun. Uh, so I moved on and waited for podcasts to be invented because then <laughs> you can do whatever you want, you know. You can. Um, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Now. But the radio world, probably like television, very corporate, very sponsor friendly, you know, mention yeah. the certain coffee, mention this certain watch brand or whatever it would be. Um, but I imagine from a novelization standpoint, you wouldn't get into to much of that, you know, that side of things. You know, nobody's telling you to have Mikey drinking a Coca-Cola in the book. As yeah, an example. no, no. <laughs> A specific Absolutely. drink or anything? No. Um, is that um, was that something you're able to do with Wrong Side Bob as well? Is that something you, is that your side of things? Or are you going to hire producers and things to handle that? And uh, will Bob no. be drinking a Carlsberg at the bar or something? Yeah. I, we, we've talked about that. I'm not sure. That may you know if we mm. if we have a little money shortfall at the end, I may uh, approach people like that and see if we can get a little money out of since it does take place in a bar. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's see a gold, it could be a gold mine almost, couldn't it? Exactly. If you get the exactly. right the right company on board to do that. Absolutely. Right. right. Uh so I mean obviously just, you know, as far as uh you know TV films go, you're obviously, you know, usually re- very involved with it. Do you find that that causes you to not want to watch films and television as much or are you still a, a TV and film junkie or have you ever been a, you know, that sort there Yeah, I, I, well, I I'm not quite as big a junkie as I used to be, but I, you know, there are I binge now, you know, I, there's right. long periods of time where I'm too busy really to get into it. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of TV series, you don't want to just watch one or two. Um, but I've recently been binging, for example, on uh, uh, Daredevil and Jessica right. Jones, these uh, absolutely Netflix comic uh, graphic novel series, which are just fabulous, I think. Yeah, I mean, they, they really are something different, aren't they? You, 
they're almost not superhero projects. No, I know they're, they're, they're so... barely superhero. Exactly. Mm. It's kind of what I love about them. It's you know Jessica Jones in particular. It's this combination of really noir detective kind of sensibility with just a touch of superhero added to it. Yeah, it makes a really interesting psychological kind of uh, graphic novel feel. Yeah, and a phenomenal job by uh, David Tennant as well. Um, yeah, she's yeah. obviously somebody who's watched him as as the Doctor in, in Doctor Who to then yeah. see him play, you know, a really a, kind of a dirtbag, you know, a real oh, creep. what a creepy guy! Yeah, what a wonderfully creepy guy! Yeah, yeah, and it's I, I love being able to watch those projects where I look at a character and you you almost feel the fear because they're so realistic and yeah. you know you get that feeling of I really wouldn't want to bump into this character. You know, sometimes you just watch actors in a TV show, but sometimes they really bring you in and can be rather yeah. terrifying and i found that with daredevil it was very easy to get just literally dragged into that that entire universe exactly um, and we the been... other thing i like about both those series is uh is uh, in terms of uh cinematic graphically they they made it look so often like real cells from a graphic novel yeah. they'll, they'll stage uh you know a, a shot or a scene or a moment uh, with really interesting perspective and and uh, looks just like a graphic novel, mm-hmm. which also the uh, the other show that's been doing that is uh, Gotham. The yes, Fox show. absolutely. Uh, and they also just had do a beautiful job of of the art direction and the 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 photography. Yeah, you're right. It does look like as if you're watching a real life graphic novel. It's gritty yeah. at times, and there's those those the shades of orange colors and the oranges and the browns that seem very right. especially in Gotham. Of, yeah. Right, a lot of foreshortened perspective, the way uh, cells in a graphic novel will be, you know, yeah. really close up in the foreground, uh, going off to really interesting, off-kilter kinds of backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with Daredevil, we watched it, I think, over a weekend. As you do, you, you binge-watch these things, because we, we almost refuse to watch things week by week right now, because it's, you know, right. what are we, in the Stone Ages? I don't need to wait yeah, seven yeah, days yeah, for yeah. the next episode. Uh, so we usually wait. Although I have, before, before you go any further, I have to tell you, I, I haven't seen the last four episodes of Daredevil. Okay. So we just avoided a big spoiler, ladies and gentlemen. That is one of the rules on the show, no spoilers. I'm glad you it said that. Um, okay. Are you enjoying it so far, though? Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, I finished uh, Jessica Jones and... And I'm close to the end of Daredevil, but I, lo- I love them both. Yeah, I mean, we can't get too specific on Daredevil because I binged it. I don't know what happens and falls where. Um, but my question was going to be, uh, we had found the season two got a bit heavy on the fighting. Uh, I'm not sure if you felt that way, too. It seemed that really long fight scenes and then a few more great scenes, but then it seemed like mostly fighting. And I didn't real I didn't see that in the first season as much. Yeah, I, I guess I have, haven't seen the second season yet. So, But you haven't seen the final four or is that of the first season? No, I haven't seen the final four of the first season. Oh, okay, you're way behind. Okay, I thought of behind. the second, yeah. Yeah. of course. Just, just started Daredevil. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm glad we clarified that as well so <laughs> that uh, I don't break the cardinal rule here and, uh, and spoil anything for you. Um, right. But about uh, for, for movies, what have, you, what have you seen recently that you've, been, uh, that you've really enjoyed? Is there anything specific that sticks out? Yeah, I love the uh, – um, what was the, the funny one I just saw? I'm, I'm blocking on the title now with uh, Ryan O'Neill. Uh, Ryan uh, – Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds, yeah, where he plays the uh, the reluctant superhero. Oh, Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah, Deadpool, I love yeah. Deadpool. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a project that it's almost like Force Awakens that people have waited so long for. Um, yeah, exactly. And exactly. I'm just so glad they did it how they did it, um, because I'm not sure if you've read many of the, the Deadpool comics, but that is almost you know, ripped yeah. right out of the comic books. That's everything the character should be. Uh, his voice even sounds like the voice I used to hear in my head. If, you know, it's exactly. No, they one did of those a perfect job. Yeah, it, it was great. My only fear now is that they're going to throw them a hundred million dollars to do the sequel. Uh, yeah. and it's going to not be, it's not going to be great. Cause I mean, money, got, is real, 
money really ruins things a lot of the times. And that's that's one of the things I'm finding actually uh, in doing Wrong Side Bob now. There, there are things that I had to lose from the script, for example, that, that uh, were going to cost too much money. But you find that you can get much more creative. You're forced to be more creative. And you often find things that are actually better creatively because you're forced to think outside the box a little bit and, and not use the money that you would have wanted. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's one of those things where obviously it's uh, going to be a fantastic project for you to sort of be at the helm you know, of everything. Have you directed before or is this your debut? Uh, I've directed uh, my own music videos and, and mm-hmm. one short. And I've done, uh, I've directed a scene here, an uncredited scene here and there in some of the TV shows I've done. But this is, this is really my first uh, major outing. Yeah, and it must be exciting, but also maybe a little bit scary. Oh, it's, it's uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, because but they always say if you're not a little bit scared, you're probably not doing it right. You know, it's uh, yeah, no, exactly. It's something to keep now, you. What, mm. Like many things, like uh, like being in the emergency room, for that matter. It's it's the anticipation that's the scariest. Once you're actually in the midst of it, you go on a little bit of automatic pilot, and you just get into the zone with it. Yeah, which is you know like anything else. I mean, in in my high school days, I did musical to things, uh, musicals and things. And you're absolutely right. It's that ten minutes before when the audience is full, you can hear them, and the show's about yeah. to start that you're terrified. Yeah. You freaked but what, out. But once the show starts, it's sort of just like a, another day, another day at work, another day at the office, as they would say. Yeah, exactly. You just get into it. You get into your role. You get into your character. You get into your job. Absolutely. So, as of now, then is it uh, just wrong side Bob for you right now? Every every day, that's what the focus is because you're obviously you're, you're hoping to shoot fairly soon. Uh, so yeah, I yeah, imagine that's, that's taking up all your all your free time at the moment. It's taking up pretty much all my time. I I am starting to uh, play music again. I kind of dropped my music for a while after uh, my last CD release, mm-hmm. but I found it's always something that that relaxes me. So it's my go to thing now to just chill out a little bit and play some some music. Yeah. And absolutely, that's, that's something for me too. I played uh, for a long time, played, toured around even South Wales with different agents and I do fall huh. out of it a lot and then come back to it and then yeah. fall out of it. Um, what but, do you play? Uh, guitar and uh, sing. Uh, and I played uh-huh. in sort of pop bands, blues bands. I do an in, like my own originals and things like that. Uh, right, like a folky, right. funky kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. And I always tried to do covers that nobody would expect. So I do a lot of <laughs> Cindy Lauper covers and... Oh. Uh, Rather than do, you know, Oasis for the sixth time at an open mic night, I would try to do something a little bit different. Um, But, you know, that's something, too, that you just, you know, you you get to have some crazy experiences. I'm I'm not sure if I've told the story before, but we had a night where we hosted an open mic night. uh, And this this guy came in who was uh, electric, magnanimous, everybody staring at him. Everybody was drawn to this guy. And somebody leaned over to me and said, oh, that's David Lee Roth. Oh, Um, no kidding. And um, I'm thinking... I, I know the name and I, I should know if that's David Lee Roth or not, but I, I don't really know. So he joined uh-huh. the stage with us. He sang a few songs with us. He was really good. That could be the beer, the free beer that the band got talking, but he seemed really <laughs> good. He sits us down at a table and starts talking to us about, I'm taking you on tour with me. I'm playing the Sky Dome in Toronto next month and you guys are going to open for me. Wow. And, you know, we're all drinking and thinking, wow, this is, this is it. This is my, my James Conn giving Spielberg the book moment. This yeah. is it. Um, then the younger guy in the band calls his dad and tells his dad, dad, guess what happened? We're going on tour with David Lee Roth. About 15 minutes later, his dad shows up, pulls me outside and says, David Lee Roth's on tour in Cincinnati tonight. I don't know who this psycho is. Um, And it's just one of those moments where you went from an ultimate high to an ultimate low, uh, made worse by the fact that it was then in the newspaper the next day about a a con man saying he even tricked a local rock band into thinking they were going on tour. 
<laughs> so that's one of those things that the boys never let us down. They, you know, all the time people would say, "Hey, did you hear David Lee Ross here?" You know, because that was the inside joke for everybody. Um, right. But you know, that was almost my James Con moment. That's great. I guess that's, that's as close as I've ever come. But it would make a heck of a <laughs> it would make a heck of a sitcom episode, a sitcom right, episode, right, I guess. Right. Um, so are you well, uh, about here? Maybe uh, the two of us will go uh, play some bars around uh, California. Absolutely, that we could certainly, we can most certainly do that. You learn a couple of Cindy Lauper tunes, and we'll be golden. All right, <laughs> but we yeah. could all, you know, we could do some blues type stuff, any number of things. Uh, I've got yeah. um, on, on a side note, I've got a YouTube channel. I'll send you a link later, and you can have a, a little glimpse at some of the originals. One of which is called Lois Lane. So oh, cool. it's about being a nerd and uh, not loving all the nerd things that are happening anymore. So it's sort of, I wish it was like it used to be kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I do find that a lot. I think the Ninja Turtles film broke my heart, the new one um, because the yeah, Ninja Turtles was huge for me. Sure. Um, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> do you find that too? Do you get a lot of the films that come out and you just think, boy, it's not like it used to be, boy, they're not like they used to uh, make them. I, I actually try to avoid the, the new ones that are reboots of the old ones. Just yeah. That's always been my experience. Mm. I mean, I hear rumors all the time about a reboot of Goonies, and I don't think I'd be able to handle it. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Ghostbusters reboot is hurting me enough, and I, I'm taking right. that personally. Um, you know, we had our last episode of this show. We spent an hour ranting about it. Um, I just don't see one the point of it. Uh, it doesn't yeah, have to yeah. be Ghostbusters. It's just a marketing thing. You could call it anything and have. You know, I don't care that it's the four. You know, the four girls doing it. But does it have to be Ghostbusters? Yeah, no, I know. It's just it's just such a lack of of creativity in the in the corporate Hollywood industry. Yeah, you know, I don't have any ideas. Let's do another Ghostbusters. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It, it no really no good. But I'm sure that uh, the world wouldn't allow a Goonies reboot. That's that's what I hope for. Um, yeah. You know, I hope, I hope that right. I hope they'll just do the right thing and just just leave it leave it where it is yeah, um I, you know because it it would just hurt me too much i mean there there are five goonies figures sitting in front of me as i speak to you now so <laughs> i would take it very personally you know uh, yeah. for that um but no you know as i say it's been um it's really a pleasure to be able to speak with you um and talk about all these various projects um obviously geek fest is coming up this year and obviously you were here for us last year in newport uh, we got to, we got to drive around the small little roads uh in Killian, um which obviously weren't your favorite experience those roads take some getting used to over here um, <laughs> Um, but for uh, Geek Fest, what it was, was a great experience. Mm. I just want to say, you know, anybody listening, uh, just run, don't walk to Geek Fest this year. It was it's really fun. There's some great cosplay, some great people. Uh, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do for a day. Absolutely, and your, your checks in the post. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, did you take any memories away? Was there anything, one thing you took away from Geek Fest? I know because obviously you you guys kind of made a a holiday out of it and, and traveled around Europe, which is definitely the way to do it, isn't it? Or around the UK. Um, we did. Was there one thing you took away from that, uh, from the trip, even in the, even in South Wales or anywhere in the UK? Oh, I, I, I'd never been to, uh, to South Wales or North Wales for that matter before. Mm. And it was just, it was beautiful. I had, I had no idea. I sort of my, my, uh, in my imagination, it was all full of, uh, coal mines and factories beforehand. Yeah. And uh, it was just uh, just the opposite. It was beautiful scenery. It was really cosmopolitan, kind of interesting downtown uh, with a, a combination of, of, of uh, old and new. It was just a, a terrific experience. Yeah, and you stayed in Killian, the small Roman town, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, that was great. Yeah, and since then, actually, Rachel and I have been back to the Snug uh, and we've had, you know, yeah. we've had dinner there and stuff. And yeah, uh, but by, by your recommendation, obviously it's sad that we live here and we've never been there, but 
a beautiful place. So, I mean, if folks are visiting GeekFest, I would also recommend if you're not local that you do, you know, maybe spend the Friday and go, go around and visit and, and have a look because it's a beautiful area uh, beautiful. To, to be in for that. Um, are you yeah. doing any other, obviously, I, wrong side, Bob, maybe taking most of your time, but are you doing any other conventions this year? No, I'm sort of putting uh, the rest of my life on hold until I, I yeah. get this wrapped up. That's probably going to take up the whole year. Absolutely. Uh, but then obviously, uh, you know, will this be a, ideally, you may not know the details yet, but uh, will there be sort of a digital release as well for people all over the world? Or Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we can obviously, everyone will get access to that. And we should revisit and uh, perhaps t- uh, retouch on another podcast when you're getting a bit closer as well. So we can yeah, let I'll let, you, know. I'll let you know when things are uh, coming together. Absolutely. Sure. So people can find that and that sort of thing. Well, that's great. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're winding down there. We don't need to take too much of your time. Um, any exciting, uh, anything anything you want, anything coming up for you other than Rocks on Wrong Side Bob? Any exciting yeah. film, uh, film or TV coming up for you? Uh, any, any concerts you're attending? Any music you're excited for? Uh, you know, I, I tend when I'm when I'm in the midst of a project like this, I get so single-minded. It's like yeah. uh, the the rest, uh, everything else just fades away. Except you know, an, an occasional free day or weekend, I'll binge on some TV series or or play a little music. Definitely. But other than that, uh, nothing much else is going on. No, and uh, playing music, obviously, you visit local bars, California, or is I imagine it may be the same as as it was in Canada or even here random open mic nights you can just sort of show up and uh yeah yeah exactly. there's that or you can you can get booked there's a uh a long time old uh place here in santa barbara called the soho that, that used to be called the bluebird that's been around since the 60s and mm. you know and every every folk act from crosby stills and nash to to judy collins to you know all the, the modern ones these days stop through there on their way, usually on their way from LA to San Francisco. It's a good stopover. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, we, we, we'll definitely have to play some music sometime. I know it's uh, Rachel and I would always wanted to do route 66 and drive the whole thing as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, you know, guitar in the back, start at one end, just make your way. Cause I'm no stranger to just showing up at a bar and saying, Hey, uh, do you want uh, some music for the night? You know, we'll play yeah. for a meal. Right. Uh, which you you know unbe- unbelievable times that I've had uh, doing that sort of thing as well. Exactly. Um, but exactly. Absolutely. Like I said last time, we will one day take that up, take you up on that, and uh, that's we, a deal. We will That's find ourselves in California playing a playing a jam session somewhere. You never know. Good. Uh, who are you, some of your favorite musicians? We'll finish up with a, a quick music chat since we're both music heads. Some yeah, of your favorite I'm, albums are. I'm really kind of locked into the the folk rock scene from the scene from the '60s and '70s. Mm. Uh, sort of the, those are still my my go-to guys the you know the eagles and paul simon and james taylor and and uh mm. um you know the in terms of of contemporary stuff I, I still like country and and uh but not like nashville country more like allison krauss country right yes not the lost your truck and your dog country. Yeah, exactly. The, the, exactly. Slightly, the slightly more narrative more, country. More gospel and storytelling, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I'm the same way. I'm an old head. I find that I listen to the older stuff first, and uh, I kind of get very grandfatherish about the new music. You know, it's not like yeah. it was in my day. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. all techno beats and hippity hop, you know. But right, uh, right. no, I definitely always go back to the old stuff anyway. Well, yeah. um, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I really want to thank you for obviously taking your time to jump down on geek get geeked with us uh, as a guest if anybody host. If anybody wants to hear some of my music it's on yeah. my website which is uh that yeah and that's con k a h n isn't it yep 
Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, check out the music. Uh, help out uh, Wrong Side Bob if you've got a few coppers. You know, throw them their way and help the help an indie project get on its feet and get it get out there because I know we all want to see it. Um, and obviously, go back and check the books out too. I mean, those are readily available as well, aren't they? Um, Absolutely. I see them every time I visit Sin City Comics, Shane's uh, comic store. We've got the books in the store there, so I see those every time as well. And I am on the hunt for a copy of Goonies, and I will find one sometime soon. All right. Um, all right. Well, next time I see you, I'll autograph it. There we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much once again. And I want to say thanks to all the listeners. Uh, you can email me, Matt, at geekedfest.com if you have any ideas for episodes or if you want to send a message uh, for any of our guests. Uh, geekedfest.com is the website. August 6th and 7th, Geekfest at the Newport Center. Uh, definitely check out. Tickets go on sale very soon and we'll have some great guest announcements very soon as well. Uh, James, thank you again. Please give our best to Jill. And uh, thank you so much for being on Get Geeked. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. And thank you once again to James Kahn for joining us on Get Geeked. Please check him out on Twitter at ThatJamesKahn and WrongSideBob.com to support his indie films. Thanks for listening. Couple of haters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>